Hello and welcome to the APW Property Pod number 11. My name is Callum Williamson and I'm here with Stuart Williamson. Stuart, how are you? Uh, not too shabby. It's all okay. Um, I've just done the market wrap, which is nice to get out of the way. Um, found some new information, which is very interesting, I think, in there. Reassessment of home seems to be ongoing in the UK, which is great. Um, had a busy week, had lots of clients to speak to all over the world. You know, Germany, Portugal, Africa, uh, over into Asia. And a recurrent theme has been quite often is that they have problems with uh, management agents or not management agents. I was speaking to one chap who's got a house outside um, Birmingham that he rented a room out to before uh, COVID. And uh, he then went to work on the continent, as we call it, in the UK, went to work in, uh, uh, I think it was Germany. And because of COVID, couldn't get back. And so consequently, this guy's had one room in a house that he's paying for, but he's had the whole house for free. Whereas if he'd had an agent on board, he could have filled up the other rooms, which is one of the things about doing it yourself, is that if you try and manage manage properties yourself, then it tends to go wrong. And it's you know one of those things, certainly in my life, I've had that experience. But I don't know, Cal, you're, you're probably more of a renter than I. What's your experience of renting being? Um my experience of renting yeah well uh mixed bag actually you know it depends on if you get someone that's a professional um or not i suppose but uh I just i suppose if we rewind a little bit quickly that story there uh segues and shows what we're going to be talking about today quite well which is finding a management agent and how to find a professional management agent and someone that will take care of all of it for you um So I wanted to ask you, right, I was having a think about, having a think earlier about, you know, you mentioned quite a few places, remote places there or places all over the world where you've spoken to people and all those people, if they buy property, will have to have someone manage that property in the UK. So I was thinking, where do you think the remote, most remote place is that you could be a UK landlord and live? Um. So I'm the landlord or, or and I've got a property with a tenant in it. Yeah, so you are so uh, yeah, you you own UK property and you live in a remote area. Where is the most remote area in the world in terms of transport to and from and frequency of that transport that you could live in? This is oh, to okay. emphasize why you need a professional doing it because if you're living in this place, you're not going to be able to do it yourself. Okay, um I want to say Kamchatka, which is <laughs> where's that? That's north of Sakhalin Island, and so it's up on its way to Alaska, but it's actually part of Russia. So it's just those islands and that sort of like promontory that sticks out just before you get to um, Alaska. And it's there's people up there who work I know who work for Sedexco, who are the catering people, and they're catering for gold mines. And, you know, you can fly in and out. There's internet, but it hardly works at all. Well, I suppose oil rigs as well. We've got people, clients who are on oil rigs or production barges all over the world. So that's pretty remote. I don't know. What's the answer? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, that is a good answer. I think uh, oil rigs, you know, certainly you can't 
really be contactable out there, can you? So that's a, a good example. Um, I don't know. I think that we've got, we've got clients who wanted to join our webinars who can't join them because they're actually on a rig and the bandwidth or whatever the technical term is, isn't strong enough for them to watch a video. Yeah, that's true. I tried to call a guy once and he said, I, I got through to him and he said, I'm on a rig uh, off Western Australia somewhere. But according to Google, the most remote place is Tristan da Cunha, which is part of the Ascension Islands oh, yeah. um, island chain or whatever you would call it. And according to Google, a few sources actually, it's one of the most remote and difficult places to get to with between 250 and 300 people living on it and only 11 surnames. It's a British dependency. It and is, yeah. As ever, the British government, thinking about saving costs, was talking about cutting the one flight a week that comes from the UK because it's not making any money and the government has to pay for it. Well, they, yeah, there you go. So you've got one flight a week and then you've got, I think, I think it's, it was saying nine, nine ships a year sail for it from South Africa. Uh, yeah. So it's a very remote place. But actually, it reminds me, I was chatting to the, the Cobis lady, the Confederation of British International Schools, I think. And we were talking about uh, what they do. And I asked her on the call, I said, where is the most remote Cobis school? And it's on the Ascension Islands. All right. Yeah, I yeah, saw that. That's where you sent me that email. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mind you, I mean, you know, with COVID, on a serious note, you can be just as isolated with your shielding, as they call it, or your isolating. You can just be as isolated just at the road because, you know, people don't think about other people's problems, they only think about their own. Yeah, that's very true. I think perhaps it's flipped on its head, you know, somewhere like Ascension Islands, they've probably... I can't imagine COVID would have got there, you know, so they're going to be living as free as they can on the island, whereas um, countries that have been in lockdown and you can't leave your house unless it's essential have less less freedom. So, yeah, you're right. Um, but there, so those are some of the places, oil rigs, Ascension Islands, places like that. Um, so I suppose we should talk about management agents now and, and you know, why is it so? It's a, na- it, it's a natural thing, and I hear it all the time. People say to me, Oh, I want to buy near Stourbridge because that's where I'm from and I've got friends and family there who could help out. And that's quite the opposite of what you should be doing. You know, it, it is, as I said, standard that if you include a friend or a family in a deal, it will go pear-shaped. I mean, I can quote an example of a, a client in Singapore who gave his brother 130,000 quid wow. to go and buy a house and he bought it for a hundred, spent thirty thousand doing it up, and the the, the brother was a uh, maintenance manager working nights at a factory, so everything he did at night had to be just perfect for the day shifts to start. So everything he did in the house was absolutely to the top quality standard and perfect. Spent all the money doing it up, and now it's un- unlettable because. He can't get the rent he wants for it because it's cost so much money. So he's overcapitalized. And what you had was the brother doing the work misunderstood what the other brother was saying and consequently didn't get right communication and went out and did the wrong thing. So, you know, in Yorkshire, they say that'll do. And that means that's great. 
but that will do if you said it to someone in London be like oh it's okay it's all right so you've got to understand that getting your friends and family to do it can lead to you know falling out with them yeah and, and that's that's a good point uh, on local knowledge there you know that'll do versus that'll do I mean different things in part of the but different parts of the country and so shows the importance of local knowledge and someone that knows the area you know so if you if you have a, a, a local professional management agent what are some of the things they're going to be doing for you you know they're going to be finding tenants listing your property vetting tenants putting tenants into the property being the point of communication for the tenant you know if anything goes wrong uh, they'll be there dealing with that so so really a good management agent right should be doing the whole management side of it from the tenants and the property perspective so you don't really have to do anything um and and some people i guess would say i'd rather do it myself and or i'd rather have someone i know do it and and not pay the money but i think it's probably worthwhile paying someone paying a professional is it not i mean how much how, how much is it on average for a management company well it depends what part of the country you're in but um it goes from say eight percent up to twelve percent if you're out of london and if you're in london can be as high as twenty percent so and also what they're doing you know if you go for a um a holiday let then you want someone to go in every weekend change the sheets give it a good clean uh take away the dirty sheets and get them laundered for the next week put new soaps in all that sort of stuff and it's worth paying you know 20 percent for that however if it's just a long-term rent in the middle of nottingham then you should be looking at about 10 percent and you know, it's a fool's game if you really think you can do it yourself from Dubai or Singapore. You just end up tying yourself in knots, stressing yourself out. And it's just better to pay someone else to do it. It'd be far better for you. Yeah, and, and that's true, actually. I think we've both probably spoken with quite a few people who had property in the UK, moved overseas. And, you know, we speak to them and they say, well, I had it, but I've actually sold it since moving overseas because it's too much of a headache. Um, and I find that's probably people that aren't using a professional management company. Um, so for those, you talked about Nottingham there, for those people, that, those lovely listeners that are listening and would like more information, we actually did a YouTube video uh, on researching and how to try and find a management agent where, where we show you how to do it. And then we actually call some agents um, and show you the sorts of questions you should be asking to ascertain whether they're a good fit or not. Um, yes, it is very much a case of it's got to be a expat professional agent you know I've, I've been called in the middle of the night by some half-wit agent oh i forgot you were yeah, that's it you know and that's normally what i do when i've had a few beeriolas you know but <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that if you're a professional agent you should respect the person and what they're doing and you know sending out emails last thing on a friday saying well, by the way, your boiler's blowing up, knowing full well that I'm going to get that on a Saturday. I'm not going to be able to contact you, but I'm not going to be able to contact you till Monday night at, eight, at five o'clock. That is shocking behaviour. You know, so they have to be, and that's where you know our, our knowledge comes in, as well as I'm concerned, is that I can point people in the right direction of expat agents who are used to doing it and still charge the same price. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... I think that's a good point, you know, and it's 
it's not uncommon now for people, you know, for people living overseas to own in the UK. And if you tell if you tell a management agent about your situation, uh, you know, you can soon soon tell whether they're used to working with expats again. To, to reference that video, if you watch that, you can hear on the call. You know, we say that we're living overseas, and the lady says, "Oh, that's wonderful." You know, we've got loads and loads of overseas clients, so we know how it works. She even said, "We understand about time differences. We understand you don't want to be bothered," and so that's a big thumbs up. You know, whereas if you call an agent and you speak to them and then they're not aware, you know, they're not aware of time differences or don't have any existing overseas clients. And it's probably a red flag. So um, I suppose that segues into nicely. You know, how do you find a good one? I've made a little list here and I would say um, you don't need to find an agent that's local to your property. But I personally think that's better because they have local knowledge. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I'd agree. I think uh, you've got to have local knowledge. You've got to have an understanding of all the sales points of why they're going to sell the property. Because you bear in mind, they're going to be selling your property to potential tenants. So they must be able to say, oh, the number 26 bus stops across the road, or there's a car park just around the corner, or there's a playing field here, or there's a great school just around the corner, or the trains run every 15 minutes to you know, take example, Cambridge, you know, every 15 minutes you've got a train from Market Downer into Cambridge. It's got a Ofsted outstanding school just around the corner. So there's lots of very positive things about it. And an agent must be local to know those things because it is a selling job. They've got to sell the tenant your property. And at the same time, they've got to make sure they do a full fact find on the tenant and get them and then sell them to you. So, yeah, local knowledge is crucial. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. Um, sorry to harp on about the video that we did. But again, in that video, we, um, you know, the lady we were speaking to who was in Nottingham, you know, I gave her, some, I gave her the sort of price point that I thought the, the property would be renting for. And she actually said, well, yeah, maybe if you're lucky um, and, and sort of went through a list of average average prices for that average rental yields and incomes for that type of property in the different areas within Nottingham. So she knew exactly what she was looking at and she knew exactly what was achievable. So um, she actually helped me reframe what might be achievable in terms of rental. So yeah, local knowledge is very important. I'd say um, for sure. Also knowing how to change a light bulb. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't do that. I couldn't change it. Like there's that. so many different different versions. I mean, there's those ones with bayonets. Then there's the screwing ones. I mean, I ordered some off the internet uh, this week, and they've turned up, and they're too dim. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it, how difficult Imagine. is that to get the right, right thing? I, I didn't want to get it too hot because it burnt the socket that it was in. It's like one of those recessed ceiling ones. But um, it's it's a thing. I mean, I flat in um, West London, the agent called me up and said that the washing machine, or emailed me, and said the washing machine needed replaced. And we'd only had it replaced the year before. So, you know, you need to be a little bit hands-on, check what these people are doing. You know, stories of people being charged 60 quid to change a light bulb. What was wrong with the washing machine? They got the wrong flat. It wasn't, wasn't my flat at all. They'd sent me someone else's. Oh, I was going to say fuse, but... That makes sense. Flat, yeah. So, no, you're right. You do no, need a bit of knowledge. I had some police women living in it. 
and uh, I think they did a lot of washing, and it wore it out quite quickly. But it wasn't. But that's positive, isn't it? Flat, so. I mean, it's a very clean, very very clean people, very clean parenting. That's good. That was the explanation she put in the email, telling me why I needed it to do. But I pointed out to her, I actually had a mother and a daughter living in. And it's interesting, you know, I was doing some research yesterday as to what sort of people live in what sort of places. And they say, if you have a two bed, you normally have a man, wife, and perhaps a kid living in it. Or you get two professionals living in it. If you go to a three bed, Foxton's found that far more single mothers lived in three bed flats because they would have a flat for themselves and then one for the kids, uh, sorry, a, a room for themselves and one for the kids. And they found that the wear and tear from the mothers and the attention that the agent had to use was a lot more, but they stayed a lot longer. So it's all about choosing, just talking about tenants, sort of choosing the right tenant and making sure the agent isn't just some idiot who will go and take, sorry, be rude, let me say that. Yeah, come on, you know, man. Take, this, this goes out say, to millions of people all around the world. Well, as you well know, we are just past a thousand downloads. So that is quite true. That is a thousand downloads, 990 of which are me. No, a thousand downloads. So it's very good. We've done well and YouTube's going, going up and, and, um, uh, gaining followers on this at 500 now. So, um, yeah, it's going in the right direction. Hopefully we're spreading the good word about property and helping people make informed property decisions you know whether that's in uh, tristan da kuna ascension islands that that place near alaska you said or um or singapore you know hopefully we're, we're helping people but the point being is that make sure the tenant is recruiting the right sort of sorry make sure the agent is recruiting the right sort of tenants you, know, you don't want to have six month rolling in rents because that's going to be high wear and tear a lot of hassle you're going to lose money on that long term people moving in just thinking about the most difficult thing i once did a property with a ship's captain who was on a permanent uh, i think it was two month rotation of the of the world and he used to be on the ship all the time just going from port to port picking up stuff dropping it off picking it up and he did that constantly all the time and then i think he got every third month off but he was Always on the ship. How about that? There you go. So I reckon, I mean, I don't suppose you'd get hold of him on the ship, could you? So you had to just cram it all into that one month when you were meeting him and talking to him. No, no, not at all. Uh, it was a big, a big, massive, big modern uh, bulk carrier. Uh, so um, They're all connected, could, aren't they? They're all yeah. connected to the web and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything used to do videos, calls with them, that sort of stuff. So it's quite extraordinary. Lovely. Oh, well, you know, lighthouseman. That must be difficult if you're a lighthouseman. Um, a light. I don't know. I mean, lighthouses are on the mainland, aren't they? So they would have some good, some good Wi-Fi connectivity. Yeah, but it's right in the middle of nowhere. Imagine if you're on Rockall. Yeah. Rockall in the middle of the Irish Sea. That's got a lighthouse on it. But imagine you're there. Yeah, that would be difficult. I imagine for sure. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, when they have the Fastnet race, you could throw like envelopes out to the ships that go past. Anyway, there we go. Right. Yeah, there we go. Any um, any closing words? Um, closing make comments. sure you you find an agent that has a 
good track record with expats, ask some references if you can, and uh, just check out what terms they're letting their people out to, what is the average term, uh, what sort of people they're targeting for their uh, for their clients. Um, make sure you're getting the right sort of stuff. You don't want your place to be wrecked. You know, as I said this week, I met a chap whose mum has got a couple of places out, out of Glasgow and um, apparently they've been wrecked the whole time, every time they rent it out. And I said, well, who are you renting out to? It's the wrong sort of people, obviously. And she should be using a tenant. She should be using an agent. She should be doing it herself. So there we go. That's my closing words. I think that's just Glasgow in general, isn't it? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no. You can't say that. That is so okay. stereotypical. Typical. So, please. So research, guys. I think research is very important. Um, when you're trying to find someone to work with, go online, do your research, read some reviews, call them, speak to them, see what they're like. Do they have overseas clients? Are they familiar in working with overseas people? Ask them about the knowledge of the area. Do they have knowledge of the area? And if it all stacks up and sounds good and the reviews read well and all that sort of stuff, then give it a go, you know, just um, just get going with it. That's what I'd say. If you want some more information, go and look at the videos on our YouTube. We've got heaps on there and our previous 10 podcast episodes, massive back catalogue. Um, otherwise, make sure you tune in to the YouTube for Stuart's Market Wrap on Friday. Yeah. And our extra bonus pod client questions answered on Thursday. Um, I think we'll leave it there, shall we? Yeah, Ripper. Awesome. All right. That's goodbye from me. And cheerio from me. <laughs>